I feel the same way. <laughs> Revelation 22 uh, is where, where we're at. The first five, first, um, the first four verses, well, first five verses, um, are kind of the final picture, and so we'll start with that, and then uh, it's the final directions that is is given, and so then we'll we'll look at those final directions as they're offered up. So, Revelation 22, verse one. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. And also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. And they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. All right. So tell me some of the things you see in these first five verses as uh, of this chapter as now this uh, book brings itself to a close with its final imagery. Uh, what a, what a journey we've been on with this. So what do, you, what do you see that strikes you in this final picture that's given to this chapter? What's that? That's a good way to put that. Really some great blessing here, right? This is the greatest blessing of all that uh, you see described. What are some of the things in this blessing that you, you guys uh, observe that he's talking about? What's going to happen? What's enjoyed there, Muriel? All right, so certainly got to love that, right? Being able to, to, to see his face. Here we are, verse 4, uh, seeing his face and in the full presence of God. And that's a lot of what we talked about in chapter 21 is that uh, this picture of New Jerusalem from verse 9 to the end of the chapter of 21 is very relational. Here's the, the glory and what we're enjoying in our presence with God. Yeah. I think the biggest thing is, is that it's, it's a renewal of justice <clears throat> in the garden Okay. And it's coming back, and I think that's been God's ultimate purpose was to bring man back to the garden and where he, they can, he can walk with them and be together. And the, the tree of life now is there, and it is there for healing. It's not there for, um, you know, it's that you have access to it again, right. the, the access that was lost. Yeah, it is uh, amazing to consider how chapter. 22 is almost like everything in full circle now is is brought back around. I find it amazing that you know you would you would almost expect like the tree of life to be written about all over the place in scriptures, and yet it's uh, disappears in chapter three, and how it comes back at the very end and talking about uh, all that 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 you you have here. So uh, pictures of, of of waters of life flowing, a tree of life in the middle of the waters of uh, of life flowing, uh, and as April brought out, I think it is describing a restoration or a full fellowship of God and His people uh, brought back together again. Dathan, it says it says um, they will see His face and His name will be on their forehead. Yeah, in the past. No one can see God's face. Yeah, later. yeah, that's right. It's a total reversal. Yeah, so uh, all the the barriers and obstacles have now ultimately been dealt with. You know, the, the sin must have been dealt with. Uh, obviously, our flesh must be dealt with, since God said we can't in the flesh be in His presence and and, and survive that. So, you have a whole new change of 
of everything of what we've been waiting for. And that goes back to what we saw at the beginning of chapter 21 uh, and talking about this as a new heaven and new earth, that this is a, a whole new system, a whole new cosmic setup than what we presently experience, David. Earlier early in verse 21, it talks about there being no temple. Right. And, you know, temple was something that really separated. That's right. The holy of holies right. and so on, the separation. Right. And there was no, there's no need for that separation. Exactly. Again. Yep. We, so we're able to now um, see God's face. Yep. And, and uh, so it's just, it's, 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 uh, you use the term restoration a lot, a lot. Yes. And everything is restored to what God intended. Yes. This is a great visual of what the prophets were talking about. And as we've studied the various prophets to see them talking about how things are going to be renewed and restored and new life given and. Here you're seeing that idea happen, Janet. I like the fact that it was um, sparkling like crystal. Okay. And uh, it reminds you of the, what happened. You've already got it up there in Ezekiel, where the water was coming from the temple. Yeah. It kept getting deeper and deeper. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's a neat tracking of the reality that you have prophets like Ezekiel and, and Zechariah talking about there's going to be this day when rivers of life are going to be just flowing and everybody's going to be able to enjoy it. And then you get over to John seven and, you know, Jesus stands up and goes, Hey, basically rivers of living waters are flowing out of me. And whoever believes in me, rivers of living water are going to flow out of them. And now then you get to chapter 22 and you see the reality of it all is that it's, it's fully experienced uh, when we have uh, that, that final day. And one of the things to think about is, so this is part of this idea of experiencing the already right now, but not yet, that we were have this deposit, this down payment, that we're partially enjoying the blessings of God, partially enjoying restoration, and partially enjoying life. But ultimately, uh, the reality of everything that God has promised won't be culminated uh, until this new heaven, new earth, final day picture is, is, is given. Uh, something also I think is worth that's unique to point out in verse 2. Uh, it says that the leaves of the tree at the end of verse 2 were for the healing uh, of the nations. I think it's important to observe that this has been a, a global restoration. This isn't an Israel only. It's not an ethnic hope. It is worldwide hope, which is, of course, what even the prophets were talking about. But you see uh, that reality uh, uh, given there. Uh, in verse 4, not only does it say that it will see his face, but you'll notice it also says his name will be on their forehead. So tell me about that one, since we've seen that kind of thing before. So we're, we're ready for that, right, April? Well, that's the Yeah, so we have seen in the book of Revelation that that is an image that's used to describe you either belong to God or you belong to the beast and the things of the world and its wickedness. And so you're seeing that that idea here. So, you know, again, still in symbols, not literal imagery emblazoned on people's foreheads, but trying to describe here are the people uh, who ultimately uh, who ultimately belong to God. Uh, and final picture there I think is useful as well because I think this ties back into some of the questions that we had in chapters 20 and 21 where it tells us at the end of verse 5, they will reign forever and ever. We had spent some time in chapter 20 talking about there was this picture of the first resurrection and their reigning with pictured with reigning with Christ. And I talked about, well, there's, there's kind of two ways to look at that and maybe this is a, 
uh, special unique group of people uh, who had died for the cause of Christ and they're the ones reigning. But I, I, I contended that I think it's representative of all the people of God, all who are the servants of God. Uh, and I think verse five helps confirm that again, is these are the servants of God. They're the ones who have the mark of God on their on their forehead. They've they've already gone through the judgment sequence of chapter 20. They're pictured as New Jerusalem in chapter 21. And here at the end of, of uh, verse five of chapter 22, they're described as reigning forever and ever. So um, I think I've said this a few times in our revelation study. I don't know what that looks like, but it's going to be exciting. You know, here we are reigning with him, and it's like, okay, <laughs> I don't know exactly what that means or what that looks like, uh, but it says it a lot in, in scriptures, and it says it a lot in the book of Revelation, David. The, the idea of knowing, knowing light to be back to, to first John, God is light to him, the reason of God yeah. at all, and that we are transported from the kingdom of darkness into yeah. the kingdom of light, yeah. and, and I felt that yeah. the... the Night, you know, Paul says, uh, for example, that we are we are we we were once darkness, but now we are light. So yes. Disappearance of, of darkness altogether. Yes. Uh, shows just the, the, the perfection. I think of, of you know what we are looking for. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably the, and I think you're right, I think it's the most symbolic way to say what chapter 21, verse 27 says, there's nothing unclean in it, there's nothing detestable in it, there's no darkness in it, it's just good, light, pure, everything that we'd hoped for. Well, I think it's interesting, in Genesis 1, God created things to provide light for man, and he had light and darkness to allow both to exist. Mm-hmm. Now, those created things are no longer needed in this, because God is the only light. I mean, God's always been there. That which cursed humanity, cursed the ground, all the curses that were levied in the beginning. Essentially, if you were to use the Romans 5 argument, everything that turned the universe upside down is now being put back right side up and, and back into its, its rightful place. And so, uh, yeah, the idea of the curse being eliminated as, as well is a, is a great picture. All right. Feel good about that? See, it, it, it's like a slow runway for chapter 22. It kind of eases in, Julie. <laughs> All the, the barriers and the obstacles that kept us from God, kept us from 
life with him. You know, sometimes we, we, we read about that barrier in Genesis 3 and think about that as a negative, but that's a positive. God's trying to keep us from being eternally separated. We don't want them in sin eating the tree of life. That'd be the worst condition. So we're going to have to create redemption plan so that they can eat of the tree of life and be able to be with God. And uh, it is a great summary of, of that, that picture here. And again, I think it's, it's always fascinated me that uh, the tree of life is one of the earliest things you read about in God's word. And then one of the things that you end on is the tree of life suddenly popping back in. And it's not like people were running around talking about that. It's just like, oh, here it is. You can now uh, have it again, Muriel. Right. It is hard to, to visualize. And I do think that is the idea back in chapter 20 at the end where we have the, the great white throne and you see all these things disappearing from death and Hades and everything is now being being sorted. Uh, and you have not only death and Hades being thrown uh, into the lake of fire, but remember we saw that uh, Satan's cast into the lake of fire. So we're, all, all evil is finally formally judged and, and dealt with so that light can be light and dark can be dark. And the book is kind of, I think, putting forward. You get, you get to choose uh, which way you want to go with that. Am I stealing your sermon? I'm sorry, Rita. <laughs> Isn't that neat? And, and that, those were some of the pictures that were given to us back in the seven churches of Asia, where we were told he's the bright and morning star and all of that imagery. And here's this, this full reality of it. I think that's exactly right. All right. Um, from verse six to the end is really a bunch of directions. What I wanted to spend some time talking about is I, I'm not sure if this has been a, a stone in your shoe yet or not, or if I'm going to put it in your shoe now at this at this point but there's an awful lot of timing that's reset in, at the end of of the this book you have in in verse 6 <clears throat> that this was sent to his angel to show his servants what what must soon take place i hope that sounds familiar that was like the very first sentence of the book was that you know, John had been given this by an angel and it was sent to him that to show his servants what must soon take place. And if you remember, which I don't know when we started this study, it was a while ago, you know, 22 chapters takes a while. But you know, when we started this, I stood on my head and said, how soon is soon, right? I really tried to drive in. If God says soon, it has to be soon. And it can't be thousands of years because that's not soon. It can't be hundreds of years because that's not soon. And I want you to notice that it really keeps doing that. Verse 7, the same thing. Behold, I'm coming soon. And then verse 10 should also sound familiar. Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is near. You might remember we saw that. When we connected that to Daniel in Daniel chapter 12, Daniel sees all these visions and he's told seal up the words of the prophecy until the time of the end. So this again would confirm to us 
It has to be soon. If you're thinking about Daniel and his time frame to the first century, you're about five to six hundred years. So again, and that was, it's going to be a while, seal it up. But now here's this message, don't seal it up. Verse 12 Uh, I'm coming soon and I'm bringing my recompense with me. Verse 20, I am surely coming soon. He's really wanting you to understand something here at the end of the book. And that's what he said at the beginning of the book. Now, here's my question. As much as I, at the beginning of our study, spent like a whole class talking about the timing is everything. It says there in the first three verses, soon, must soon take place, the time is near. And I said, had to be within their lifetime, right? Can't Otherwise, it's not soon. Hundreds of years, not soon. Thousands of years, not soon. Into the world, still out, but not soon. And here I've been talking about for the last two chapters, what? The end of the world, right? Final judgment. So am I all washed up in a ding Because here I am at the very beginning of the book telling you all about it's near and soon, it's near and soon. And the end of the book now says, it's near and soon, it's near and soon. What is that? Five times at the end of the book, he says it. So now what do we do? (laughs) What do we do with this? And I, I will state that this is probably one of the reasons why there are a few people who will read chapters 21 and 22 and say, well, this has already happened. And I go, no more death. Uh, no more. Yeah, I mean, yes, it's been accomplished, but it's not the reality we're in yet. I really can't see how I could read chapter 20, where death and Hades are no more and thrown into the lake of fire, and there's no need for them anymore, and all the books are opened, and everybody's judged, both, you know, dead and ever. Can't see how this isn't all at the end. So is there any way to reconcile this, that this would be talking about the final judgment and at the very same time be saying soon, 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 near, 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 near. It's all coming. Here it is. Had I had nobody wondered about this yet and I now threw the speed bump at you. (laughs) I had kind of leaked a couple of times saying timing's going to be curious because if you think about where we've gone, we have been moving further and further away from that first generation, right? I mean, that, that first century generation. We've been talking about the beast and its fall, and that wasn't going to be soon. If you're in the first century, that was still way on out, hundreds of years. And now here we are with Satan being cast in the lake of fire. That hasn't even happened yet. So, oh, Valerie, all right, ready to step into my trap. Go ahead. <laughs> Yes, for sure. He knew how this was all going to play out, right? So that that's certainly uh, worthy to keep in mind is that God certainly has a, a, a visual of all of this. But it is interesting that, you know, to say it in verse 6 and in verse 7 and in verse 10 and in verse 12 and in verse 20, two human beings, it's near I'm coming soon. So that has to mean something to them. And I, if you remember when, and I'll go and restate it since it was a long time ago when we were back in chapter one in those first three verses, I don't think our way out is to say, well, with 
God, a thousand years is a day, and a, and a day is a thousand years. So when God tells human beings soon, it may not be soon because, you know, God just, time means nothing to him. And if you remember, my big problem with that is then nothing means anything, right? If God gives any kind of time marker, then we just kind of go, oh, well, we don't know what to think of that because God's, you know, just so, you know, eternity and time doesn't mean anything. I believe when God tells humans a time marker, he knows how to talk to his creation. And so if he says a day, then he knows a day. And if he says a week, if he says a year, if he says a long time, if he says soon, if he says near, if he says it's far, he knows what he's doing with, with that when he talks to people. And I don't think that was the point of Second Peter 3 when, when Peter said that. That wasn't the intention. is to say, just throw all time markers in the Bible out the window. Because to God, you know, who knows. All right, so I've sufficiently stumped you with this. Good. I was wondering, I, I didn't know if you've been bowling this over for about 22 chapters now. Like, how do we deal with time here? Because... You know, it all was working good when we were looking at Jerusalem and its destruction and all of that. But then all of a sudden we broke away and went further and further down the road and then even further and further down the road. All right. Well, here's here's the way I think we ought to approach this. And you see what you think. Two things to keep in mind. First of all, one of the things when you read verses like verse 7, verse 12 and verse 20 Here's Jesus' words. I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. First, first thing to keep in mind. When God says he's coming, does he always refer to final judgment? No. We, we worked hard on that and we went through a lot of places, right? Where God will say, I'm coming quickly. And you read the context and you're like, wait a minute. He was talking about Babylon or he was talking about Assyria or he was talking about Jerusalem or, or things like that. So, God coming in the clouds doesn't specify to you necessarily, oh, well, that's the end, or I'm coming, and that must be the the ultimate ending. So the first thing that I think we can alleviate is when Jesus says, I'm coming soon, this book has been a book of judgments. It's been full of judgments. These things are coming, and our very first thing that we started with from chapter 6 through chapter 11 was this false Jerusalem that needed to be judged and they're persecuting the people of God and we went through those chapters and here's the good thing by the way so uh, Lord willing next week and the next few weeks we're going to kind of recap the book and remind ourselves of a lot of the area we've traversed in this I think what God's doing here and with these time markers is can I would it be fair to use an illustration would be like if you were a kid I don't know if you did this I liked doing this and you set up a bunch of dominoes on their end, right? Always tried to make them, you know, strewn around and go off a table and hit down below and all of that. And you stack them all in a line. And all you have to do is if you do it right, you just touch the first domino. And then all of the sequence all just goes all the way down. And I think the book of Revelation is doing this. Now, let me frame why and and how, and then I'll frame it with the book of Habakkuk as, a, as an illustration of it. So here is the people of God. Imagine you're in the first century. And we've talked about when you read the book of Acts and you look at the primary people who are causing Christians the problems in the first century, 
Who's stoning Paul? Who's chasing the apostles? It's the Jewish leaders, right? Just as they had killed Christ, they are causing Christians in the first century to suffer. All right, the book sets up. Immediately, they're going to be dealt with. That, this is their time. That this is coming soon. We, we think, I, I have a tendency to think that this book is written maybe a year or two before Jerusalem falls in the first century. Now, do you remember who destroys Jerusalem? What power? What world power? The Roman Empire. Is the Roman Empire good and clean and pure and wicked, right? So here is this wicked nation. They come in and destroy Jerusalem, and they're going to be a problem, right? You're going to read about their persecutions. And so the next natural question would be, well, what about them? They're wicked. They're, they're causing us trouble. Uh, what, what are you going to do about them? And the very next thing the book unfolds is, all right, here's the beast. And it's going to be judged. But who's ultimately behind the beast and its problems? The dragon, right? We saw the dragon raises up the beast. He's the one that's ultimately making war against the people of God. And what I think Revelation is doing is sequencing Here are your enemies before your eyes. Right now as your present persecutor with Jerusalem, they're going to be judged. And once they're judged, the next entity after that, your next domino, has to be the beast. And once they're dealt with, we're going to also take care of the one who raised up the beast and bring it to its end also. Now, let me use Habakkuk as an illustration of that. So here's Habakkuk. And he's a prophet, and he's an unusual prophet because rather than prophesying to people, he's having a whole dialogue with God. And Habakkuk the prophet, in chapter 1, he starts off by talking to God and saying, how long until you judge Judah and Jerusalem? Because there's wickedness everywhere, there's violence everywhere, it's awful. The people of God need to be judged. And God's answer in chapter 1 is, you're right, I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, and they're going to come in and they're going to destroy, and they're going to judge them. Okay, And Habakkuk goes, um, the Babylonians are wicked. Uh, yeah, we're bad, but what about them? And God goes, no worries, chapter 2, I'm going to judge them too. <laughs> They're next. Once that domino falls of dealing with Jerusalem and Judah, I'm going to deal with Babylon. And they're going to fall. And I'm going to give them the proper judgment and justice for what they've done. And Habakkuk goes, okay. Uh, And I love that's why God says, you know what? The righteous have to live by faith. That's where that text comes out of, is out of Habakkuk 2. He's telling them, you've got to trust me as I go through all this. I think Revelation is tracking the same sequencing of the same ideas. I'm dealing with your present situation. We are going to deal with those who claim to be the people of God and are false, just like in Habakkuk's day. They claim to be the people of God and they're false. God goes, judgment first. But the standback would be now, wait a minute. <laughs> the one, the, the instrument you use to judge is also evil. And here's God going, I got that. Hold on. Hold on, John. Remember chapter 11? You got to go preach to other nations, peoples, and languages. We got some more to deal with. So the next domino will be, let's deal with the world power at the time. It's going to fall. And then you kind of go, yeah, but wait a minute. You know the whole problem with all of this? Is because Satan is behind all of these powers. And God goes, yeah, don't worry. That's the next domino after that. 
I, I got that. So the point I'm making is that I don't think there's a way to read the book and just go, all 22 chapters are all going to happen instantaneously. But rather to tell them these things are near and must soon take place is, yes, the dominoes are going to fall in your lifetime. It will be in your generation. You are going to see it. But when that first domino falls, it's not a single domino. There's more that's going to fall after that. And then there's more that's going to fall after that. And you are in the midst of watching the sequencing of it take place. And to me, that's what makes the most sense of how we can have these kinds of words and still be talking about the final dealing of Satan. Well, why talk about the final dealing of Satan? Well, because he's one of the big problems. He's the ultimate problem. And yet still say soon take place is that God is already initiating the judgments in the first century and bringing them to completion. One final thing I'll say about this, and then I'll take your questions about it. Is I'm hoping that in some of the things that we've studied, not only in the book of Revelation, but also in some of the other books, is that I think sometimes we think of God's judgments as like a single point in time. Like God was doing nothing, and then out of the blue, bam, judgment. Okay, done. And then nothing's happening, and then all of a sudden, boom, judgment. And one of the things that the prophets are always trying to say, and the book of Revelation is too, is, no, this is all a process. These are judgments in progress that are happening. And when you see this one thing, then there are more things that are coming along with it that God is doing. And it's not just simply, you know, okay, well, there's 70 AD. Now there's this long time frame waiting. And then there Rome falls. And now we're in this long time frame waiting but rather to see it as God is putting enemies under his feet day by day, piece by piece, year by year, until ultimately you get to the final judgment. The final enemy is put under his feet, death, Satan, and that's all dealt with. To see it in a panorama of process rather than just all at once. All right, questions, fire away. Here's your chance. And... You might just want a week to marinate on that. <laughs> but I hope you think about it. There has to be a way to reconcile, soon take place, start the start of the book and the end of the book, and still have all the information that's found in it. Rita. I'm going to go with that it is no time frame. Okay. That's right. Absolutely. And um, it's going to key into something I'm going to do in just a few weeks on Sunday night. What you're saying is one of the things that you see God do is he uses these judgments as models of how he continues to judge in a timeless way like you're bringing out. That it's not just simply... You know, I think that's part of the problem of reading the prophets and sometimes revelations. Okay, well, that's all past, so what, what good is it to us? Well, it's modeling how God's always operating. He is always dealing with nations and peoples and putting them under his feet and causing them to fall. And in that mechanism, I think you do have a very timeless way in which God is saying, here's how I do things, Julie. Well, when you were speaking, and thank you for that, that made sense to me, John chapter 5, when Jesus said, we're always working, my Father and I are always working. Yeah. And it's what you 
Right. There's always work going on, yeah. and you know, I the domino thing made sense. Yeah. Right? The domino was going to start to fall, yeah. but it's like today he's still working. Yeah. And so that it makes sense. Yeah. To me, the yeah, I would present it the same way. The dominoes are still falling. When we were in chapter twenty, we were asking the question about. Um, are we in the thousand years now? Yes. The, the dominoes are still falling right now. He's still actively. And to me, if you're in the first century and you're asking the question, all right, well, when are we going to see God's kingdom start subjugating nations? Soon. The time is near. I'm pushing that first domino right now. And we're going to start watching enemies and nations all be put under his feet. Yeah. So the Greek verb that they're using here for quickly or soon is the same that they Yeah. Said, go and get the exactly and I think that works a lot works well with the book of Daniel because if you remember, we talked about the book of Daniel and there were there's two basic prophecies. There's a number of other nations, Greece and Persia are in there too. But, but two of the big things that are in there are about uh, the shattering of the power of the holy people, the fall of Jerusalem, and also this fourth terrifying beast, also described as that fourth empire in the statue of Daniel 2. And the book of Daniel ends with seal it up, because it's go your way, Daniel, it's going to be later time of the end. So you have these two things that are still holding together. So if you have this ball that says these things have to eventually happen, and now you bring this ball to the first century, and it says, okay, it's not going to be a long time, it's soon. All right, well, now we're unwrapping going that all this that you said, Jerusalem and Rome, has to be soon. It's all going to start going. So that's why I use like the, the domino idea is that you got to start watching the dominoes fall. But when Daniel's prophesying, none of the dominoes are falling. You're just going to wait. You're going to wait and wait and wait. And that's why I think verse 10 is, is really important here. Don't seal up the words of the prophecy because these things are now going to start unfolding. And I, you might be like me. For me, that's, that's been a hard thing to work around in my mind is I've so often just wanted to be like, you know, everything is point in time. And I think that's probably how I was taught about things. Like, you know, when the kingdom was established in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, point of time, end of story, here's the singular point. And it's like, yeah, that's when it began. But that was a whole process. That was this whole unfolding that started at that point of what God was ultimately doing and the spread of the kingdom out of Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. It wasn't to the ends of the earth on the day that the Holy Spirit fell started the dominoes falling and it's the same thing here i think is this is the start of the dominoes spreading everywhere as god's kingdom subjugates nations under his feet all right nathan i should have never said anything right <laughs> mean fair with the text it says soon <laughs> Interpretation in terms of what does it say to me? It is saying, you know, the, I think in Second Peter, um, since then you know these things. It yeah. points me to the future and it provides me with all this hope. <clears throat> it, 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 
He is saying to me, this thing is certain, and 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 therefore, you know, I must I must be be prepared. Yes. Uh, you know, when it when it when it happens. Yes. Yeah. That's, well, that's how, you know, but, but to reconcile that. <laughs> yeah. Well, everybody's got that problem. And, and if you remember, I even said at the very beginning of our study, I said, everybody has a timing problem. Because it says it must soon take place and the time is near. Everybody has to, to come reckoning to that sentence. And then you really have to reckon as he says it five more times at the end of the book. So you got to work out how it's near and soon and still talk about all these things. So this is the way I have been able to understand by... Looking, and I, I hope Habakkuk kind of helps, is that God did that before. <laughs> he kind of laid it out like dominoes and goes, first this, then this, then this. And now here's Revelation doing the same, same thing. But the point you make, I think, is important because that's a great transition to going forward. Verse 6, after, after we have all this, what's the point? These words are true and trustworthy. These things are absolutely going to happen. These dominoes are going to fall and they're going to fall in this particular order. Now, I want you to notice something very interesting. Look at verses 8 and 9. Are you surprised by this little scene here? What does John do? Don't you want to say, hey, John, don't you remember back in chapter 19 and verse 10, you did that and you were told not to do that. (laughs) What's happening here? Why, Why is John doing this again? And why is he told not to? And, you know, is this just silly old John who can't, you know, keep his head on straight? He gets so overwhelmed by how amazing things are. Or is there something maybe a little more going on? Or do you remember what the message was in chapter 19 as to why that happened there? Because it's interesting that it happens here again in this final section of directions and warnings. Well, let's put it this way then. When John does that, what's he told? Yeah, Kathy? All right. Right. Don't worship me. Worship who? All right. Now, why is that integral to the book? What's this whole book been a problem about? Right. The decision of will you be faithful and worship God or will you worship the beast, right? That has been this whole continuity that that has been an issue is, are you going to be faithful unto death and deal with the consequences of only worshiping God, or are you going to worship something else? And I think it's interesting that this is a means by which to describe the necessity of worship God. This is, if you will, a visual of what the apostle Paul said in Galatians, I don't care if an angel from heaven comes down, right? (laughs) Well, here's an angel. And John goes, whoa. And he goes, no, I don't care if it's even an angel. Worship God and nothing else. I don't care if it's a beast, an angel, a human being. I don't care what you think it is. There is only one being worthy of worship, God. And so in this finale of directions i think it is is really fascinating to see that this is the means to communicate this final reminder 
to these Christians who are going to be put to the test. Will you be faithful to God or will you succumb and worship the beast and its image so that you can buy and sell in the marketplace? All those things that we read about back in chapter 13 uh, are all being uh, are all being challenged here. Um, one other thing that I think is, is useful to bring up is look at verses 10 and 11. We looked at verse 10 in the timing, not to seal up the words of the prophecy, but look at verse 11. This sounds really weird. So let the evildoer still do evil. Let the filthy still be filthy and the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. Surprised our culture hasn't grabbed that one yet. You know, that sounds like relativism perfectly. You know, you want to be evil, you do evil. And you want to be right, you do right. right? It's kind of like the whole message of our world right now is, hey, let the evil just keep on doing evil. Let the filthy still be filthy. Is that what God is saying? Let the intent, hey, all you evil people, you're fine. Go right ahead and just keep doing evil. No problem. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I I think that is the idea is that what you're going to see is through all of these judgments and tribulations and and problems and persecutions, you're still going to have evil doing evil. And the righteous are still called to be righteous, even while the filthy are still being filthy, and even while the evildoers are still being evil. By the way, it is really interesting that just as much as verse 10 comes out of Daniel 12, where in Daniel 12, it is seal up the book because it's to the time of the end. And now in Revelation, it's don't seal the book. It's also in Daniel 12, verse 10. Many will purify themselves and make themselves wide and be refined, but the wicked will act wickedly. It's not a statement of, hey, you know, you go do what you're going to do. But this is the way it's going to be while the righteous wait for judgment. It's not going to be easy, but the wicked are going to still be wicked and the righteous are still going to be righteous. So kind of some of the messages that we've talked about in our study is the need to be faithful and do right, even when things are bad and to not be surprised when things are evil and filthy and awful. That's the way God said it was going to be. So don't be surprised by by that outcome. And we've talked about that in some of our other studies. I think that was Wednesday night we did that is... We're going to continue to do what's right even in the face of those difficulties. But I think it's a really neat way that that's put to say, well, the filthy can be filthy. Well, that's because no matter what God does, there's still going to be this cosmic battle of good and evil, right and wrong, light and and dark. Miriam? Sure. And I mean, who wouldn't be in awe of a glorious angel who's proclaiming these amazing messages about the, the judgments of God who, and how true these judgments are going to be and not feel the compulsion to worship. And here's God using that to say, no, no, God only, nobody else, nothing else. I think that's an important picture. Anything else through verse 11? Julie? Yep. And I know we've talked about us continuing in that, but even as we walk through this darkness on earth, it is important for us to remember that our time is. That's we're right. not promised today. Nope. And we're not promised to have this whole day. And so it is important that we do remember, and that's why I love this book, because it shows us God's judgments yep. and his love and mercy for us as well. Yes. But for us to remember that even though 
Absolutely. I think that's some of the intention of a lot of God's judgments is to show everybody always thinks the world is going to keep going the way it's going and are not prepared for not only their individual judgment, but also national judgment. And all of these prophecies are like every every nation thought it would always go on. You know, there's not a single nation that goes, yeah, I think we're going to fold it up next week. <laughs> it's always been oh yeah we're going to be great we're, we're so powerful and mighty we're going to always be here right and there hasn't been a single group that's always been there it has always been God going okay now your turn's done and so you're, you're, you're exactly right it, it, in one way you always have to be ready for that because God's judgments are always sudden whether it's going to be the final judgment whether it be a national judgment or whenever we are going to leave this life we don't know when that will be and can also be sudden any of those things can happen in any moment and it is certainly a call for preparation all right Valerie I just have a question yep. um, so um, we have in our like red letters it might be a reason I, it doesn't really tell us why john does this he does it he does it twice <laughs> uh, i i think the purpose of the event being recorded is to teach about false worship uh, but we aren't told like, and here's the reason why John felt compelled to do this. We, we, we don't know. So I would just be guessing. Uh, but obviously what is being proclaimed uh, is, is very much um, glorious because it's God's word. Uh, I don't know that, I don't know if your Bible has verse six in red letters, but I wouldn't put that in red letters. I guess the only reason I would maybe read letter that would be because he might be, he's quoting God's word, but this is, we're told at the beginning of chapter 22, this is an angel having a discussion with John. So he may be saying what Christ's words are, but it's the angel talking right there. Verse 7, verse 12, verse Yeah. And verse 20. Yeah, I mean... It's clearly Jesus' words, I, like verse 13. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. But if you will notice, it says, he said to me, and the he goes back to the angel. So he's saying God's words, but it's still an angel standing there telling him all those things. So, I mean, I guess make it pink letter i don't know <laughs> it's it's christ's words but uh it's it's not christ standing there at that moment all right i'm out of time 13 minute break reconvene at 10 30 for your hour of worship thank you everybody appreciate it we will finish this